Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called but of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and you're welcome to the Big Tech Show podcast with me, Adrian Wetley, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. And this week we're talking about smishing and I'm delighted to have on the podcast with me Dr. Jess Barker, co-founder of Sygenta, a UK-based uh, cybersecurity firm and author of the upcoming Confident Cyber Security book to be published on September the 10th in, U- in the UK and in Ireland. Uh, Jess, you're very welcome to the podcast. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much. Um you're, I'll just start with your book. It's coming out September the 10th. Um, yes. 58 case studies, according to the advance blurb. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of case studies because, I mean, we've got a lot to pick from, unfortunately, haven't we? There have been so many incidents when it comes to cybersecurity over the last few years alone. But I do find that telling those stories and, you know, referring to what has happened really brings the subject to life. Um, If we're talking about cyber war, for example, then it's very helpful to be able to cite cases, to say what's happened and Mm. to really explain some of the details. I've always found as a journalist trying to eke out details in case studies, it can be kind of tricky, sensitive. Um, Did did, did you find that? I mean, are most of them uh, divulged to you in kind of an anonymous way or or how, how did you find that part of the process no so most of them are public domain anyway okay so they're you know known incidents it was just about pulling together kind of what happened and mm. some case studies are in much more detail than others it can be really challenging as you've said when it comes to cybersecurity to get all of the details about everything that's happened sometimes we just don't know who might have done something or how they've done it or why they've done it. Um, But where possible, I put in the information that's out there um, just to help people learn. Mm. Well, today we're talking about smishing because here in Dublin, uh, there was a case last week where one of our biggest banks, Bank of Ireland, did a U-turn kind of because of a talk show that uh, the broadcaster here or T-House called Liveline. And there was a huge campaign with people ringing in and saying that they had been the victim of this uh, smishing, SMS phishing, fraudsters inserting themselves into legitimate text message conversations between them and their bank. And some of them fell for it and the fraudsters ended up getting some money. Now, normally the banks have a kind of a delicate position as they tr- 
they basically say, look, we, we feel sorry for you. If, it, if it's extreme, we might talk to you on a case-by-case basis. But they weren't refunding the money. They did in this case. They did a U-turn. So I, I just thought we'd look at the the issue of of SMS um, phishing. Um, in layman's terms, um, would you have a shot at explaining it? Sure. So SMS phishing, we'll all be familiar, I think, or most people will be familiar with email phishing. And it started out, or, you know, the classic example is a foreign prince who emails you because they want to give you a good share of their fortune if you'll just send them a little sum of money first or send them bank details, uh, then they will transfer their wealth to you. So that was phishing, you know, from what, five, ten years ago, and pretty identifiable and pretty much, you know, often over email. What's happened in the last few years is we've all become far more savvy to that kind of email fish. And so phishing in general has become more sophisticated. And this means it has become harder to identify. It's become more targeted, what we call spear phishing. And the channels by which we receive fishes have broadened out. And so we're still getting email phishing. Um, but we're also seeing more phishing over SMS, over text messages, and that's smishing. We also, of course, have voice phishing, which allegedly is what was used for the recent Twitter incident. And um, we see social media phishes. We see phishing over WhatsApp and other kind of message communication platforms. So any way people can communicate, essentially, we're receiving these kind of phishing messages. Yeah, I've looked at this um, a little bit before. I'm absolutely not an expert in the area. Um, but one of the things that struck me before when looking at phishing and spoofing in particular is just how easy it is to do a very basic spoof. Um, I mean, a lot of websites set themselves up as pranking or prankster uh, sites. Uh, I've, I've tried a few of them. Within five or 10 minutes, it's like filling out a, a, an online email form. You can pretty much send an email to almost anybody else pretending to be someone else. And unless they kind of know what to look for, if they just glance at the email, and the same for a text message as well, it will look like um, it's from... Uh, uh, somebody. Uh, I'm not quite sure there's that consciousness out there of just how easy it is uh, to do this. Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, what we've seen with that kind of spoofing that you talk about, with this phishing, with cybercrime in general, is this idea of cybercrime as a service. So actually, you don't have to be technically skilled yourself. Um, If you're a criminal, you can actually go to websites, potentially go to places on the dark web and either fill out sort of forms so that this will be done for you or hire people who will do it for you. And so unfortunately, it has made it a lot more accessible. And this is one of the reasons we've seen such a huge rise in it. Mm. One of the things that also strikes me is that the criminals could be a lot more successful if they were just a tiny bit more literate. I mean, it, it it never fails to amaze me how much I think they could get if they just rearranged their wording a bit better. I mean, my wife got one um, uh, the other day on Saturday. Uh, I, I, I uh, took a screenshot of it and it's a different bank. It's AIB. I got onto the bank. They, they agreed it was a, a smishing attack and it reads, your AIB online access is frozen due to deceptive actions. Deceptive, right? To recover, visit, and then a bogus uh, URL. Immediate action is required with no punction. Deceptive actions. It's kind of like they're reading a 19th century novel or something. 
You, you know, so when you talk about high, <laughs> you tried to use a big word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, but we see that. I mean, because one of the telltale styles tr- uh, traditionally with fishing, for example, was bad grammar, bad punctuation, bad English, not like bad use of of jargon, and like the nerd in me kind of thinks, guys, if if you just were a little bit better with your language, you'd actually pull it off. Don't give them tips. Don't <laughs> give them advice. No, but actually, what's fascinating about that, I used to think the same. And then I learned that they would use bad grammar and bad spelling on purpose because it was a way of them um, kind of narrowing down their pool of targets. So they would send out a fish or a scam and using, if they would use poor grammar and poor punctuation, bad spelling, the people that responded to that were more likely to go on to be fooled in general and to become a victim. Whereas if they use really good um, language, and good punctuation mm. and make it very sophisticated. More people might respond immediately, but as the scam goes on, they will lose that conversion rate, I guess. And they would might be wasting effort exactly. at a more elevated level of the scam. I never even thought about that. Okay. No. That's really yeah. interesting. So there's method yeah. behind that bad language and bad grammar. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And um it, So what we see when it comes to all of this kind of scamming is such diversity in sophistication. Some of it can be very low level and absolutely, you know, still any of us could be taken in by it if we're we're busy, if we're hurrying. Mm. But some of it is easily identifiable. Some of it is much more sophisticated and has been conducted with much more skill. Mm. I mean, one of the other problems is the banks and many businesses, I don't want to zero in too much on banks here, they will often say, um, when they're answering uh, uh, questions about this, they'll say, we will never send you out an email or a text with a live link. That's just not true. I mean, it's just yeah. not true. I mean, yeah. my own bank, Bank of Ireland, um, they don't often send me out something with a live link, but they occasionally do. I just checked my correspondence. There was one fairly recently about a survey they wanted me to do, and there was a live link on it. Um you know, and and if you're somebody who's not not as au fait with IT systems as uh, as you and I would would pretend to be, or, or or would would say that that we are, I mean, it's going to be confusing. You know, absolutely. It's one thing organisations really have to get right is how they communicate, because that sets a precedent for what we as consumers will see as the norm. And so if they tell us, oh, we're not going to send out a link, but then they do, we kind of become desensitized. We think, well, they have done before, so maybe they are sending me this one. Mm. Um, But, you know, everybody can get it wrong. I've heard of cybersecurity awareness teams in organizations that, on the one hand, raise awareness, never click a link in an email. Uh, To find out more, click this link link. (laughs) read more information. So it's challenging. Yeah, and there are people, I mean, to take a bank again, it's a very large organization with an, usually an awful lot of people at different uh, levels. They're hiring all the time. There's a lot of people coming in, uh, coming out at different levels, different clerical levels. So I, we can be a little bit too hard on them uh, sometimes as well. This is not like a really crack tight unit. This is a general representative body of of workers who are probably doing their best. Yeah, absolutely. And with anything like this, it's you know it's difficult because. 
you know, people get defrauded and that's really challenging. We also have to recognize that the bank is being targeted mm. and ultimately it is the criminals behind this that of course are causing it. I'm not saying that organizations can't and shouldn't do more to up their security, but to some extent we're all victims in this. Mm. There's one element to this that leaves me with a lot of questions. I I've gone looking uh, for answers on it. I haven't really come up um, with any. I'm not expecting any clear answers. But it's this issue behind the idea of smishing. And um, some suggestion in some of the pieces I've read that there is a vulnerability in what they call SMS gateways, these big gateways that a lot of companies, including banks, use to send out mass marketing uh, communications. And that the way that they are architected or constructed, the, the, you know, the, there's been there have been warnings about this before. Make them vulnerable in some instances to scammers interjecting themselves, sometimes maybe in, even into a live conver- conversation. Um, is that something? Do you think in the medium term we need to be worried about? It's something that we we have to consider. It, it does seem from uh, my understanding that they are a vulnerability, mm. um, that it's complicated. So an SMS gateway, for anyone that doesn't know, is essentially how a large organization manages text or SMS communications with their customers. You know, they don't send them through phones. They send them through an SMS gateway, like a, a server, a big computer that manages it for them. Um, so we we can't just not receive those messages um, because mm. they often send us important ones. Um, of course, the organizations need to be able to manage that kind of mass approach to sending SMS or text. But it does seem um, to be an issue when it comes to smishing, particularly the more sophisticated smishing where the criminal, as in the cases you've identified, will insert themselves in a conversation. So it's not coming kind of left field. There's an established conversation with an mm. organization and then a spoof scam um, fish message comes mm. in. And then to go back to this consistency issue, I just as, as we were talking earlier on, it did occur to me, it's not just the emails and the texts that we sometimes get from uh, our service providers. Sometimes they'll call you up. I mean, mm-hmm. I get calls sometimes from a service provider it might be a bank, it might be a TV service provider, and they'll say, uh, "Hello, am I talking to Adrian? Uh, hello, am I talking to Adrian Wechter? Uh Yes, this is Adrian. Now, uh, before we go any further on this call, could I just have some uh, get you to confirm some uh, details? No, you can't. I mean, yes. yeah, how, how do I know who you are? And um, if there's anybody, if there's ever anybody looking for money from you, that's actually quite a good way of, uh, of, of ending the conversation. Not that I'd know about that, but I, I would imagine. But but. It, Again, this this you know this whole approach that uh, it, it's still we still haven't arrived at this you know golden path where one company, one big company has gotten it absolutely right yet, have we? Authentication is really difficult. You know, if if I'm speaking to you, you're speaking to me. How do we authenticate that we are who we say we are? And those phone calls really irritate me as well. I have found organisations have got better with responding. When I I will always say, no, of course I'm not going to give you my details. I'm going to call you back mm. on a number that I know is legitimate. Um, and I have found that generally now the response is way better than it was a few years ago, whereas now they're like, absolutely, of course, we understand. Um, but still, it adds a layer of, of complexity. And again, it's that issue of not practicing 
sort of what you preach. Mm. On the one hand, organizations will be say, don't give out your details, um, make sure you're speaking to someone who's legitimate. And then on the other hand, they'll bring you up and say, can you tell me your date of birth and your account yeah. number and Everything. all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and I think it's more difficult at the moment. I've noticed that a lot of organizations, of course, with many people working from home, um, they may be ringing from different numbers. Mm. Um, it may not show up as the number that you know when you're trying to get hold of someone. It's harder to get hold of them. A lot of organizations still haven't sort of sorted out their remote telephone systems. Mm. Yeah, I'm waiting for the day when, you know, those instant uh, chat uh, help support on websites. I, maybe you have, but I haven't heard yet of of someone interjecting themselves uh, in there. But I'm I'm waiting for that day. That'll be a that'll be a fun one. That's one to watch for. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just lastly on. The issue that sparked this conversation here in Ireland was this issue of uh, smishing uh, with bank customers. So the bank has said that it is actually going to reimburse the customers. Now, that is kind of because there was a public outcry and there was a PR campaign. But in general, is it right? Sh- sh- should banks be taking responsibility for this or or, or, or no? Or is it more complicated? It's, it is complicated. And I think banks are wrestling with this. Where does the responsibility lie? And it's not just banks. Actually, we see it also with conveyancing fraud. We've seen some terrible mm. cases where people are buying a house and um, oh my God. interjects themselves in sort of communications, says, oh, I'm your you know, I'm your um, estate agent, I'm the, the realtor, and um, I, our bank details have changed. You need to send the deposit here. And so people have lost their whole life savings in those kind of instances. Mm. Um, so there was a f- there were a few famous cases in the last few. There was one case, as far as I recall, it was a football player. It was a Premier League football player who was going. No, no, it was for, it was for a Dutch league football player going from Feyenoord, I think, to uh, it was one of the big Italian teams. And somehow the criminals managed to get involved, to get get into the middle. And the I think the Italians ended up uh, paying the criminal something like two million quid uh, yeah. or something like that. Um, I remember that case as well. Yeah. Now, the problem with football, of course, is actually they should stick to the faxes. You know, the way on deadline day, they always say and uh, an offer is being faxed in. Um, might might be a little bit safer if they if they stuck to yeah. that. Um, exactly. But so where the responsibility lies, you know, who has to take mm. the the financial burden of that, I think is really difficult because sometimes even identifying sort of responsibility um, is really difficult. Has the fraudster been able to compromise at the bank end? Mm. Have they inserted themselves in the middle? Is it something that the consumer did? Did they give away details? Ultimately, though, you're, you're being scammed. Mm. So we, we need to get to the bottom of this because too many people are losing too much money. And I think it's not right that the burden is just reliant on an individual. Mm. Some, sometimes that burden seems to be clarified in either a subsequent court case or maybe if an insurance company gets involved. It, it's when the amounts of money start to, to to stack up that they uh, they it, it gets a little bit clear and um, just lastly so your your book confident cybersecurity September the 10th 14 chapters 58 uh, case studies covering tech human and physical aspects is that right that's right that's right cybersecurity is 
it's technical, of course, at its heart, but it's also about people. It's also about physical security. And so the book covers that. It talks about social engineering, this kind of phishing stuff we've been covering, Mm -hmm. covers cyber war, what organizations and individuals can do to better protect themselves. And um, it also talks about what cybersecurity means to all kinds of industries. So we think about banks, we think about governments, but also what about pop stars? What about YouTubers and social media influencers and footballers? Lots of examples of cybersecurity in all sorts of different areas of the world. Okay, look, who's the publisher? It's Kogan Page. Kogan Page, looking forward to that. Uh, Dr. Jessica Barker, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the podcast. And that is all we have time for this week, folks. So from me, Adrian Michael, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, I'll be here same time next week. Bye-bye.